the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in and history. Covers topics like apologetics worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how to live your Christian life. See how you can get involved and support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Now here's your host, Stacy. Hi, this is Stacy from Throughout All Ages. My brother-in-law gave an amazing Christmas message at the chapel in Grossmont. Here's a part of it. Please listen. All of the Old Testament looked forward to the birth of this one little boy in Bethlehem. And because of that one child's birth, the miracle of salvation have taken place in the lives of millions of men and women. You've heard the word Advent. You, you know, it's being, of course, it's Advent begins four weeks before Christmas. Uh, it's the celebration of the very birth of Jesus Christ. It comes from the uh, Latin word uh, Adventus, meaning coming. First to the season immediately before Christmas. The first Advent looks back to Christ's first coming. The second Advent looks forward to Christ's second coming. We are living in between these two Advents. Advent is a season of waiting and expectation for Christmas. The first Advent we celebrate the birth of Christ. We call it the nativity of our birth. That's what nativity means, the birth of Christ. We prepare our homes and hearts four weeks before Christmas. Today, today the 17th, is the third week of the Advent. So there's one more to go which Pastor John will be teaching on that final Advent. And so most churches will gather the messages preparing for uh, the celebration of Christmas by presenting some word from the scriptures that points to the birth of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to Matthew chapter 1. What a long introduction. I've never done that before. (laughs) Matthew chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 through 6. We'll read that in just a minute, but let's pray. Father, pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us now through your word and by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would come away knowing you better, Jesus. That we would come, that we would leave this place, Lord. That we'd walk out of the doors changed individuals, Lord. People who desire to know you. People who would desire to love you and live for you. Speak to us now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. The first chapter of Matthew begins with this genealogy. And if you know anything about this, typically in schools, you know, I remember in public school I was handed a Gideon Bible, a New Testament Gideon Bible, and I began to open it up this first chapter I read, and you'll see in a moment, I would read it and go, okay, this has nothing for me. And I would, you know, put that thing away because you'll read it right now with me. And most people do this. It starts off by saying this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and the Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron, 
and Hezron the father of Ram. Now you can see why you would just put it away as a kid, or even grown-ups, right? We give it to our military men, and that's where they typically open it up to, right? And they're like, what does this have to do with me? And then you, know, you close it and you set it down. It's because you all these begats, you know? In verse 4, and Ram the father of Minadad, and the Minadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. So what Matthew, the writer of Matthew, is doing, now every writer there, Matthew, Luke, and, and John, of course, you know, and, and, these, and Mark, they're writing to a specific group for a specific purpose. Matthew is writing to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one of the Old Testament. So throughout the gospel of Matthew, you're always going to read, thus says the word. This is what the Lord said in the Old Testament. You're going to read that over and over again because the identification is so important. There are many religions in this world, but like they, you know, but they all just pop up. There's no identification. There's, 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 there's a falsehood about them. There's no worthy truth, no miracle, no identity. But God wanted to make sure that we wouldn't be fooled. So he laid down hundreds and hundreds, 300 just regarding Jesus Christ, of these prophecies so we can identify this is the man. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. And by the way, this here genealogy, nobody who would come now in our time would be able to prove this genealogy record. It was all burnt up, thanks to Nero and the others who destroyed the records, they wouldn't be able to prove that they came from Abraham and David or these other guys. At the time of the writings, they were able to check this and verify it. And so all they had to do was say, hey, listen, this is where Jesus came from, guys. He's the one. Look at his, the records. And I love it. it. It begins with King David and Abraham because these promises were made to them. And to Abraham, it says there, that the nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. By the way, the prophecy was written 2,000 years before Jesus' birth, exactly 1,992 years before the birth of Jesus, that the whole world would be blessed from the seed that would come from Abraham. That's remarkable. Regarding King David, it says there that when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Nobody would be able to live forever. Nobody would be able to do that. But God says, out of your loins, David, out of your seed, out of your body, will come someone that will live forever. That is Jesus Christ. That is powerful. Nobody else will be able to do that. No one else will be able to prove that. Such a powerful prophecy written almost a thousand years before the birth of Jesus on that one. You know, going to verse 5 now with this genealogy, and I, and I love these, these men and women in here because they're people just like you and I, people that have bad habits, people that have great failings, you know. You know, I'll admit I, I failed miserably. I was teaching uh, on Thursday night the young adults about you know, the great love chapter in 1 Corinthians verse 13, and it says love is patient. I said, okay, guys, I failed already. <laughs> I'm the worst failure on planet earth, you know, and, I, and I'm confessing to you right now, you know, and, and, and we fail. And these guys were reading about, they weren't perfect, but they were chosen. And so are you. They're chosen by God before the foundations of the earth. 
And I love it. It, it, you know, it goes on here in verse 5, and Solomon, the father of Boaz, oh, Boaz, I love the story of Boaz. His mother was Rahab, that harlot. Do you remember that? How's that shocking? Is that shocking enough for me? What is your background? God can radically change you. And it happened for Rahab. Has this great son by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is the father of Obed. By the way, Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And you go right down that genealogy record, you find out that this genealogy is to Joseph, who is the father of Jesus. It's remarkable. It says that Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. You remember Ruth? What a powerful story. I told my wife that I, I get to teach the same time John does, but in in Santa Rosa on the last Sunday of the year. And I said, I want to do the whole book of Ruth. She said, you only got 45 minutes, Bond. I'm like, I don't care. I can do it. She's like, quit, Bond. You know, and, and so, you know, Ruth is just a remarkable story. You remember her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi was married to a man in Bethlehem. They had two sons. And because of deep poverty, frustration and pain and suffering came into their lives. And he said, I'm out of here. Let's move to Moab. And there in Moab, which is modern day Jordan today, in Jordan there, uh, the father dies and the two son dies and Naomi's just destroyed. And I think that is there for someone here today. Maybe your life has been destroyed in, in a similar manner. Maybe a child or husband or a wife or something. Just God wants you to know that he knows and he cares and he loves you. Here Ruth is totally destroyed. She has nothing. She tells her two daughters, daughter-in-laws, stay here, marry a Moabite, and, and, and I'm going back to Bethlehem. And of course that great story that in, in all of literature, Ruth is, no, 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 no. Your people is my people. Your God is my God. Wherever you go, I will follow you. And so they end up going back to Bethlehem. And then, you know, it was harvest season. And Naomi tells Ruth, go to work. And she goes up and harvests. And she's in Boaz land. And she's harvesting. And Boaz comes up with his white horse. And that's why I love the story. It's a great love story. He comes right up. He's like, whoa, that's perfect. Yeah. Is that distracting, honey? (laughs) Great love story, right? So he... um, you know, he, he comes riding on his horse, he looks over in his field, and he sees, he sees, you know, Ruth, and he's like, whoa, who's that girl, you know? And he's asking everybody, and they said, oh, that's Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law. And he says, oh, bring her over to my, you know, tent. And he really lays it out for her. He gives the wine and the food, and, and, and she's, she's like, you know, she's just like an airhead girl, you know? Oh, wow, this happens to everybody, you know? But no, this doesn't happen to everybody. And then as she goes back to work, he tells the worker, listen, Whenever she lines up behind you, just throw clumps of grain, you know, and, and let her just harvest a huge harvest. I found favor in her. And all the guys are all, in, they're all, they're all for this because they, they want to bless their boss, Boaz. They're like, oh, look, at she's right behind me. Boom, they throw out a big old clump. And, you know, she's, she's like clueless. She's like, whoa, look what I found. And she throws it in her bag and she has no clue. She comes back home and she puts up her harvest and Naomi, the, you know, the older gal, says, Ruth, where did you get all this grain? She goes, oh, I was harvesting at Boaz's land. And he goes, this isn't natural. He has an eye for you. Keep working in this field. And you know the story. And next time he, you know, they're harvesting and, and Naomi tells Ruth, hey, go over there and get under his blanket and see if he'll take you under his wing. And he does. And you remember the story? He's like, but there is, you know, I have the privilege of buying the property and I have the privilege of marrying you because I'm a close kinsman. I'm a, I'm a very close relative, but there's one person that's closer and he has the opportunity to buy the land and to marry you. So I'm going to go in the morning and I'm going to find that guy and we're going to deal with it. And, and so he's, you know, so he's all in, you know, so he finds the guy, the relative, and he says, come over here. Um, you have the opportunity of buying the land, Naomi's land. And so do you want to buy it? And he says, yes, I want to buy it. Oh, by the way, 
you have to marry Ruth. That's what Le- the book of Le- uh, Levitical rites are all about. So you've got to marry her to, you know, to continue, down, continue the lineage of, of her children. And he's like, I can't do that. We don't know why, but I, I can imagine my wife would kill me. You know, come home with a second wife. You know, no, we're not going to play that game. No. And Boaz goes, okay, I'll take care of it. You know, and, and Boaz you know, marries her, and it turns from bitterness to blessedness for Naomi. And that's why that story is so powerful. It's the story here of lineage that's going towards Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful story. And, and, and it ends there with the, the bloodline, of course, going to Jesse, going to David. There's one more I, I want to read with you guys this morning. And it's, and, and, you know, I already made a message long, but just to make it longer, it goes on. <laughs> Verse 6, it says, and David was the father of Solomon, father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jerom, and Jerom the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, a great man of God, I'll be preaching on him on, on uh, next Sunday. Um, just a great man of God. It says this about Hezekiah. There was no one like him before, that would include King David, and there was no one like him after, that would include Josiah. That's how powerful this man of God was towards our God. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, oh my goodness. I went in there with him, Second Chronicles 34. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Second Chronicles 34, it's part of the lineage here, and I want to read about him. For you young people, especially those that are under 16, take notice. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. It wasn't because he was wise or spiritual. It was because of his lineage. His grandfather was Manasseh. He died and gave it to Ammon, and Ammon died, and so now it was Josiah's turn. By the way, Ammon was assassinated, and so the the people gathered the the assassins and killed them and then said, you're in charge, Josiah. And so Josiah was the leader over Judah. It says that he died at the age of 39, but notice verse 2. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was pleasing to God. Think about that. Pleasing to God at eight. He didn't follow the latest trends. He didn't follow his peers or the people. The people of his time were in darkness. He didn't follow the culture. He followed the Lord. He was remarkable. Everybody wants, you know, Christmas is, you know, give me this, give me that, because everybody else is getting that. He was different. He says, give me the Lord. That's who I want. He walked the ways of his father, David. There was the voices of the past that spoke to Josiah. Words from King David, of course. Thankful for our church fathers. We have their writings. Love reading them. I'm thankful for the words of Paul the Apostle and our word, Peter, and of course, Jesus. I enjoy hearing the voices from the past like C.H. Spurgeon, Whitfield. They inspire me. For years on New Year's Eve, I would bring in the new year by reading sermons from C.H. Spurgeon. It always set my affections on Jesus for the new year, and it's powerful. These are voices from the past. This is what Josiah has heard. Josiah comes to the throne in the darkest days of the history of the nation of Judah, worse than King Ahab and Jezebel, his father. Grandfather Manasseh was the worst king of all the kings. He introduced idolatry and reintroduced idolatry to the nation of Israel, far worse than any time or any person ever did in the whole nation of Israel. His son Amos, Amos uh, or uh, Ammon was the same way. It would seem like that Josiah here would have no chance because of the heritage. But you remember the story of Manasseh, right? And it kind of makes me bitter because Manasseh was told, okay, if you don't change your way, you're going to be judged. And the Assyrians came in and took him, put hooks in him, and took him to Babylon. And he was there, and they were, you know, 
abusing him and beating him up. And, um, and he cried to the Lord. And he said, God, forgive me. And God forgave him. And God brought him back as an older gentleman who's in love with God. And I'm bitter because of all the damage he did. And I, how can that guy get saved? But then I think of the great salvation that God's given me. I may be pointing my fingers at him, but there's three pointing back at me, you know. That guy, how can he do that, Manessa? And now he's saved, you know. And I'm and the three fingers pointed at me, Bond, come on, you were just as bad. God saved you. He's eight years old. He takes over the reign. Notice what it says there in verse three. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God of his father, David. In the eighth year of, of Josiah's reign, he was eight. When he became king and on the eighth year of his reign, he's now 16 years old. Just a kid. The Bible says that he began to seek God. I wonder how much now Manasseh has influenced him because he was a six-year-old kid when you know, Manasseh died as a grandpa. I wonder for six years that Manasseh set him on his lap and say, Manasseh, don't do what I've done. Don't bring idolatry to the nation of Israel. Don't practice witchcraft. Don't practice idolatry. Don't kill prophets like I did. I killed Isaiah. Don't do that. And I think that hit home with little Josiah. And at the age of 16, this guy is such a man of God. Just a kid, but the Bible says that he began to seek God, that wonderful influence of grandpa. He took it to heart. Josiah is now... 16, and he begins to seek God. What does that mean, began to seek God? It means that he desired to seek God's presence. He wanted to know what pleased God. He wanted to know how to live for God. He wanted to draw near to God. Does that ring a bell with some of you young people? We're so distracted in this life. Even us older people are. One kid's decision will change the whole course of a nation. In verse 3, it says that in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Josiah is now 20 years of age. Not only does he have a surrendered life to God, but now he will impact the nation for God. He will say that at the end of his chapter, notice what he'll say. He'll say, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. He had everybody in Israel serving God. Can you imagine if one person could do that here in America? And we think it's impossible. It's not. One person dedicated to God saying, Lord, here I am, a vessel. Use me. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. This one little boy, 16, now 20, now influencing the nation of Judah. I want to impact the world for Jesus like this. I get to work with a bunch of 20-year-old nothing kids. In our young adults, we have 65, 70, and I get to point them to Jesus. We have them going all over the world right now. I have one that just got married, and he's working in the Middle East in Jordan. I have another uh, two that are going out in January to Peru, South America. We have a college there that everybody's coming from all Colombia, Chile, all over to this college. And they're going back and starting a church plant. I got a guy that just came from Nepal, this young 22-year-old kid who just came back from Nepal and says, I want to go back. I want to be a part of it. Whether it's discipleship, money, or prayers, I want to be a part of it. I want to do my part. Don't you? Don't you want to invest in people's lives? Don't you want to be imp- impactful? I believe that God has something greater for you and me. There's something left for you and me to accomplish. Do you believe that, church? How will that change our lives, though? Hmm. Verse 8, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temples, he sent Shaphan to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Second Chronicles 34, 8 says that. At 26 years old, he has his heart to restore and build the temple, the place where they worship God. For the sake of time, we'll drop down to verse 29, but let me give you a little insight of what's taking place. He takes offering to restore and build the temple, and there is a great outpouring by everybody. Everybody wants to be involved now. I pray that happens here at the chapel. Everybody wants to be involved in what just happened, the Christmas program this morning. People giving their lives to the Lord. I don't know about you. I want to be involved. But everybody is involved. They're giving offering. They're, 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 they're giving all they have, and they have such a 
a huge amount and they start building the temple. And as they're building, they're, they're tearing down areas and they find the Bible, parts of it, the Old Testament. They find, I'm sure, most scholars believe Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursings. They bring it to Josiah and Josiah begins to read it and all of a sudden his knees are buckled and he falls to the ground and he rips his clothes and he says, oh Lord, we have disobeyed you. So he looks for a prophet and there's none. Remember Manasseh killed them all. So they get Hulda, the prophetess from Sweden. I'm kidding. She's Jewish. Anyway, she's Jewish. And so Hulda comes and gives the prophecy of good news, bad news. The good news and the bad news. The bad news is God's going to destroy the nation of Judah because of their sin and their idolatry. The good news, Josiah, is you're not going to see that. I'm going to bless you. Moving to verse 29, it says this, And the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great, small, both great and small, and he read in their hearings all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. In verse 31, and the king stood in the place. I love the, the NIV because it says this, that the king stood by the pillar. I love that because I love pillar moments. Do you remember Samson had his pillar moment, right? Suffer me, lad, that I might put my hands on the pillars. You know, it's a, the, temp, the you know, God, use me one more time. And here is Josiah, his pillar moment. And it says that he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statues with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that are written in the book. Does that ring loudly, loudly to you? Do you ever find time in your life where you rededicate your life and make a covenant and say, God, I'm yours. And whatever you want, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. This is a pillar moment. And I think we need that in our lives. We need a pillar moment. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and, and Benjamin joined them. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their father. The Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God all the days that he, that uh, they did not turn all the days they did not turn away from following the Lord he led by example and he influenced a people remember he's a kid how did he speak to those old people you know you, my mom said in her way and I tell my mom mom you ought not to do that goes, oh, who are you <laughs> okay mom you know old people they, they, they don't like young guys telling them what to do and how did he do that power of God. In all the days they did not turn away from following the Lord. He impacted the nation of Israel. We need a revival like this. Revival begins when the word of God is emphasized. Repentance, humbleness, brokenness, confession of sins follow. Then there's the life of holiness. I don't think that God is done using us. I believe as long as we're alive, some, God has something greater for you and me, my friend. There's something left for you and me to accomplish. So my friends, on this Advent, this third Advent, may we seek the Lord with all our hearts and not turn to the left or to the right. And may we keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to conclude with this story. I was telling my brother Gabe about this story I read for our congregation. And I, I thought, well, I'll just read it to you guys. Fits. It was a bright Sunday morning in the 18th century in London. But Robert Robertson's mood was anything but sunny. Everywhere he looked, there were happy people smiling and waving at one another on their way to church. But Robinson wasn't one of them. In fact, he was very lonely and unhappy. 
happy man. The sound of the church bells reminded him of the time in his life when his faith was strong and the church meant so much to him. But that seemed like only a distant memory on this particular morning. It had been years since he had even set foot in the church. He had gotten away from the Lord and spent the last several years disillusioned and wandering farther and farther away from God that he had once loved so much. His love for God that once was so hot and passionate had slowly burned out, leaving him dark and cold inside. Robinson heard the clip-clop, clip-clop of the horse-drawn carriage approaching from behind them. Turning, he lifted his head to hail the driver. Hey! But then he saw that the cab was occupied by the young woman dressed in her Sunday's best. It was obvious on the, their way to church. He waved the driver on, but the woman in the carriage ordered the driver to stop the carriage, which he did. The woman looked at Robinson and said, Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you. Are you going to church? He was about to decline her offer, but then he paused and said, Yes, I am going to church, and I would appreciate the ride. He stepped into the carriage and sat down beside the young woman. Robert Robertson introduced himself to the young woman and thanked her for her kindness. He noticed that when he told her his name, the woman had a strange look on her face. Then she said, that's an interesting coincidence. She then reached into her purse and took out a small book of inspirational writings that she had been reading on the way to church. She opened the book and handed it to him and said, I was just reading a verse by a poet by the name of Robert Robinson. Are you him? He took the book, nodding, yes. I wrote these words years ago in his 20s. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine I'm sharing the carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robertson barely heard her. He was absorbed in the words he was reading. They were words that would one day be set to music and become a great hymn of the faith. These are the words he read. Come thou fount of every blessing. Turn my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page, which he read, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward as I read the closing part of this. He could barely read the last few lines through the tears that welled up in his eyes. He looked at the young woman and said, I wrote these words, and I've lived these words, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. But the young woman responded by saying, but you also wrote, hear my heart, oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson in that moment. He, like the people in Josiah's day, turned his heart back to God and walked with him the rest of his days. Where are you in your walk with the Lord today? Like the hymn writer, have you found yourself drifting away from the Lord's arm of love? Has your love for the Lord, which was once so hot, grown cold? God's message for you this morning is that new beginnings are possible. Just like in the time of Josiah, king of Judah, just like in the Jesus movement of the 70s, God longs to draw wayward children back to him. God longs to stoke the flames of revival in our hearts. May this Advent celebration be a time of rededication. Maybe a new start for soon, some that haven't given their life to Jesus. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.